So this morning's Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 5 and verses 1 to 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. When I say the word church, I wonder what comes into your mind's eye. Do you think of that Victorian or medieval building that you find in the middle of the village or on the high street or in the centre of the town? Do you think of the services that take place like we're having this morning? Or do you think of the vicar? Mike or someone else that you know? Or do you think of the people? The people of God. Now, without doubt, all those images are part of what we understand by church. They're all part of our connotations of what church looks like in Britain in this century. But it's its heart the church is the people of God. And this morning I want to ask you, do you see the church as being a fundamental and key part of your Christian faith? Or is it just an add-on, an extra, something that you can take and leave? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, an amusing book of instructions from a senior devil to a junior devil as to how to put people off becoming Christians, suggests that the church is a prominent weapon. You see, C.S. Lewis identifies as a mismatch between what we like to think of as church, of that body of Christ, and the reality of church, those flawed individual human beings, with all their foibles and faults that doesn't leave any one of us. Well, what does John have to say about church in his epistle? If you've got a Bible handy, please get it. If you've got it on a device, please load it up and turn to 1 John chapter 5 and these verses that we had read to us this morning. And as you find that passage, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. And Father, this morning we pray that you help us to understand it. And Father, we pray that as we understand it, we'd be willing to hear what it's saying to us. And we'd be willing to put what it says 
interaction. Father, we pray for your spirit to come down this morning and speak into our hearts. Speak through your word and speak to us. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you found that passage, hopefully what you can see right at the beginning and the end are two, if you like, two bookends to it. You know, those things that you have to stop the pile of books falling over, you put a big weight at either end. But as you see, as the passage comes up, you can see verse 1 and verse 5 contain this same phrase. In verse 1, we have everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God. And at the end of verse 5, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, John is saying to his hearers, his readers, the key to this at each end is that belief in who Jesus is. And if you've got that belief in who Jesus is, then things flow from it. And by belief, it doesn't just mean, you know, I, th- I think Middle Witch is closer, I believe Middle Witch is closer to North Witch than Nant Witch. It's not that sort of thing that you, you think it's right, but it doesn't really matter if it's wrong. It's not that sort of belief. It's that trust, that dependence on something. Your complete confidence. If that's put in the belief that Jesus is the Christ, or that Jesus is the Son of God, then things flow from it. And this passage that we're looking at begins and ends with those beliefs. But verse 1 and verse 5 are also different because verse 1 is open to everyone. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Verse 5 ends, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's see what, between these two bookends, John has to say about the church. Well, undoubtedly, the first thing that comes straight out of this first verse is that love for God's people follows directly from belief in Jesus. See, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves the child as well. You see, many of John's readers and hearers didn't find it easy to believe that Jesus of Galilee, this ordinary man, was the Messiah. You see, for Jew in Greek thinking, gods and people were separate, very different. They found it hard to imagine and conceive that the Messiah could be a human being. And we're going to come back to this next week when John goes into more detail about it. But John is saying, if you have that belief, if your trust is in that, that Jesus of Galilee, the man, was the Messiah from God, then you are born of God. You're one of God's children. 
And that applies to you, and it applies to me, and it applies to everyone who has that belief. But he goes on to say that if you love the father, you'll also love the child. So if you've made that declaration of faith in belief in who Jesus is, you're a child of God, you'll love God, but by implication, you'll also love the rest of God's children. You see, it's not an optional extra. It flows directly from it. As I was preparing, doing the first preparation for this sermon, was the time when Tobias, our grandson, was poorly, and very poorly. And I remember, as I sat there thinking about this first, thinking, Andrew, my son, I love, no doubt about that. You know, we spent a lot of time together, seen him grow up, seen him becoming his. Tobias, I know much less well, spent far less time with him. But I love Tobias because I love Andrew. At a human level, we know that it works. But John is saying that if you love God and you're born of God, then inevitably love for God's children will follow. So is that how we see our relationships in the church? We come here. We worship, we're conscious of our love for God, we're conscious of our thankfulness for what he did in his son Jesus. But do we see that then extending automatically to our fellow members of God's family? You see, it's not sufficient to say, I believe in Jesus the Messiah. It's not sufficient to say, I believe in God and I worship him. We also have to take on board that we're part of God's family. And other people who make that same commitment and have that same belief are also part of God's family. And therefore, if we're going to walk in the light, we need to show them the same love that God showed to us. So it's not an optional extra. Love for God's people flows from that belief in Jesus. But what does it mean to love God's people? How do we show that we love God's people, you may be asking. Now, how do you show love? Well, if if you've done the marriage course, uh, and there's a little plug there, um, you'll have heard of love languages. How you show your love or demonstrate your love to someone that you do love by perhaps touching them or doing things for them, or buying them presents, or spending time with them, different ways. You can't possibly know the love language for everyone in the church. Far too complicated. I can think about Rosemary, I can try and work out how to show I love her, so she gets flowers occasionally, sometimes do the cleaning, But more concerned than that, isn't it? It means treating her with respect and putting her interests ahead of my own. Ahead of my own. But John goes on in verse 2, and he says, This is how we know we love the children of God, 
by loving God and carrying out his commands. You see, obeying God and loving his people are interwoven. They're not separate things. They're the same things. You see, John has made it clear throughout this letter that God commands us to love our fellow Christians. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. He says in in chapter 3, And this is the command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. And he has given us this command, he says in chapter 4, that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So it's right at the heart of what he's saying, but he goes on in verse 3 to say, this is how we demonstrate our love for God, by keeping his commands. You see, how we know that we love the children of God is by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, it's love for God to keep his commands. If you want to show love to the people of God, you need to carry out the commands of God, is what he's saying. Now, I guess most of us, when we think about commandments, think of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. And if you look at those, four of them speak about our relationship with God. A fifth one talks about our relationship with our parents. But the remaining five are about our relationships with other members of our community, not murdering them, not having adulterous affairs with them, not stealing from them, being honest with them, and not being envious of the things that they have. In Mark 12, Jesus was asked the question, which is the greatest commandment? And he replied, the most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. You see, if you're going to say we love God, it means we need to keep his commandments. And central amongst that is this command to love his people. Now, perhaps you think, well, love's not like that. Love is spontaneous. Love is something that makes you feel hot and gooey. Love is something that gushes out. It's not about keeping rules and regulations. Well, John says, his commands are not burdensome. If you've been a member of a house group over the last few months, you'll have worked your way through this book, Gentle and Lowly, by Dane Ortland. Clearly American, you can tell by his name, let alone anything else. Some of you will have enjoyed the book. 
some of you less so. At the heart of it is a desire to give us a bigger vision and a bigger view of God's love to us. And at the centre of the book is that verse from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever you think about the book, and there's bits of it that I liked and bits of it I didn't like. But it encourages us to have a bigger view of God's love. Because one of the points he makes is so often we're so aware of our own failings as Christians. That we see God as begrudging or having a list, checklist against our failures. And we see the commandments as lists of things to perform badly against. And he presents it in a different way. He said, God is there loving and extending his love to you on a daily basis. These commands are what he longs to see you do. He doesn't cast you off if you don't. But he rejoices when you do so. That's the strength of his love and the breadth of his love. And John is picking that up, that the commands of God aren't burdensome or onerous. Yes, it's a command to love one another. But it's a command which is easy to keep and becomes spontaneous. A week or so ago, we went on holiday to Pembrokeshire, and we stayed near a woolen mill. And uh, a couple of times, we went down to see this woolen mill. Yes, there was a water wheel that worked. It didn't power the mill any longer. It was run on electricity with Italian weaving machines, so it wasn't quite as quaint as it made itself sound. But you could go in there, you could see, and you could look at one side, and you see the different colours and spools of wool feeding into the loom. And you looked at the other side and you saw the woven cloth and those pattern of many colours repeated and came together. And you couldn't separate, once you got the woven cloth, those individual strands of wool. And it's the same way that God's love and our love for God and keeping his commandment is interwoven with our need to love each other. It's not a separate thing, it's part of it. You might be able to see it's separate origin, but it comes together as we live out the Christian life. But the third thing that John says is that this love is only possible through new birth. Yes, he might say the commands aren't burdensome, but as we look around the church... We perhaps find ourselves thinking, well, you might say that, but you don't know who's in St. John's. Some of them aren't very easy to love. C.S. Lewis, in his book, gives some characteristics of the sort of people that you might feed in church. And I have to say, it's a very dated 1940s middle-class view. But we could make our own list, couldn't we? Those we consider intellectually or socially beneath us. Those whose views we don't agree with. 
those who don't bother about the state of the house will let the garden run wild. Those whose children we feel are unruly. Or those people who just aren't like us. Well, John tells us those are the people that we need to love. These are the people who are part of God's family. And they're the ones we need to love. So how do we do that? Well, he tells us in verse 4 that everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that comes through faith. Because we're born of God through our belief in Jesus, new birth makes loving other people a possibility. You see, the world does love, doesn't it? If you're attractive, it loves you. If we click, then I love you. If it doesn't cost me anything, if it's to my advantage, that's how the world does love. And too often as Christians, that's how we can get pulled into doing love. And yet John says that we need to overcome those attitudes of the world and love in the same way as God loved us and Jesus loved us and love each other like that. Our call is to love the other members of God's family with the same unconditional love that God showed to us and continues to show to us on a daily basis. But to do that, we're going to need a totally different attitude. And that attitude comes from new birth. And in verse 5, he asks, who is it that overcomes the world? Who is it who has a different attitude to love? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, this isn't something we've got to manufacture in ourselves. It isn't something we've got to say, you know, grit our teeth, I'm going to love them whatever the cost. Yes, we've got to do that. But this is something that's going to come out of the new birth that we experience through our belief in Jesus. That's how we can do it. That's how it's possible to be a different community. That's how it's possible to be a community of love rather than one of self-interest. It empowers and enables us to show that unconditional love to each other. So as we close this morning, there's two questions I just want to leave you with. The first is this. Do we need to think, shift our thinking about the church? Perhaps we're too inclined to see it as an optional optional extra. If it's convenient or I'm not doing anything else, or I'll just go in and, and just go out. See, for John, loving God's people is an integral part of being a Christian. And there's a danger for all of us, and it's been exacerbated by COVID and the restrictions that have been upon us to, to be individual. There's a danger that we can all become individuals, and we think about our individual faith rather than how we live out our faith together, as we're called to do. And do we need to just stop and check ourselves this morning and think again 
Are we giving church the value it deserves? The second question I'd like to ask is, do we need to stop and reflect and get a fresh measure of new birth? Do we need to stop and say, Lord, I don't find it easy to love other people. Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit. Remind me of that new birth and give me that new spontaneity to love each other. Change me, transform me through your spirit and help me to love those other members of your family. For John, it wasn't an optional extra. The church, the people of God was fundamental and loving them was essential. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the love that you show to us. Father, we thank you that we can be born into your family. But Father, we pray this morning that you help us to show that same love to others. Help us to show that unboundless, unlimited love to the members of your kingdom. Change us to make us be like that. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.